Hi, everybody. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real-world experience as a senior executive, so if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's actually been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I have with me today Professor Dirk Matten. Hi, Dirk. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's good to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Let me tell you all just a little bit about Dirk. He has uh, quite an accomplished background. He is a professor of strategy and holds the Hewlett Packard Chair in Corporate Social Responsibility at York University at the uh, Schulich School of Business. And just Dirk, why don't you tell everybody exactly where that is, um, where, where York University is? Well, York University is a relatively young university founded in the 1960s, also the business school. Um, and it is in the north of Toronto. It used to be a green field. There was nothing, but now the city has grown so fast that it is really part of the city of Toronto now. Okay, very good. You are also, Dirk is also, the founding director of the Center for Excellence and Responsible Business there at York University. Dirk has a doctoral degree and the habilitation from Heinrich Heine University, Dusseldorf in Germany. And in 2019 and 20, he was the Goulet Visiting Professor of Ethics in Business at Trinity College at the University of Melbourne. He is also a visiting professor at the University of London, University of Nottingham, Copenhagen Business School, and the Sabanj University in Istanbul. He has taught and done research at academic institutions in 13 countries. I think that's remarkable. Ranging everywhere from Argentina to Australia, Belgium, Britain, Canada, Czech Republic, Denmark, France, Germany, India, Italy, Turkey, and the USA. Dirk's published 29 books, and he has more than 90 journal articles and book chapters, which have won numerous prestigious awards. And it is truly an honor and a pleasure to have you here with us today, talking about business ethics and governance and risk and talking about that from a, a both the U.S. perspective, but also your broad worldview. So thank you. Thank you. So Dirk, we have been talking uh, to a number of different thought leaders and academics about how the field of business ethics has obviously been changing over the years. Um, there was an HBR article that was written at one point in time about 25 years ago that was saying that uh, business ethics was being taught in a way that just wasn't helpful to business students. It was too practical, it was too theoretical, and it was too general. I actually think we've done a lot, both on the practice side, and I also think we've done a lot, and I'm learning more on what's been done on the academic side in those intervening 25 years. I'd really like your view of where you think we are today, if you still think it's theoretical, too general, and impractical, but where do you think we are uh, today? It was certainly uh, very much led by philosophers who um, couldn't find employment in philosophy, hence uh, 
got jobs in business schools. And uh, much of it was very normative and very, um, you know, talking down to students by telling them <clears throat> uh, how the right way of doing things would look like. Now, I think that has changed in many ways, um, uh, partly also with the labels changing for the field. I mean, it's uh, still business ethics in many um, classes, uh, but it is much more now couched under corporate social responsibility or creating shared value or social entrepreneurship. So all these more kind of pragmatic and applied uh, ways. Right. Has the governance risk and compliance, that GRC uh, label, uh, is that common nomenclature uh, in Canada or in, uh, the, in Europe generally, in that same vein of ESG and CSR and the alphabet soup or not? Well, I think that the governance and uh, compliance, I mean, that's the interesting thing. Uh, if you look at finance programs, um, their ethics and compliance plays a role, but it is mostly not really about ethics. It's about compliance. Right. And that's not the same thing, right? Yes. So, um, so, so can you just pause for a second and explain how you see those two as different for the audience? Well, compliance is um, basically, and that's what you have in a lot of banks and other organizations, there's an ethics and compliance officer or department. It's basically making sure that everybody sticks to the rules. Yeah. Ethics, of course, is a different project. That's uh, managers evaluating a situation where there are no rules. So if you think of supply chains and if you think of climate change, if you think of the immigration debate in the US over the last four years, that's where companies have to sit down and say, what do we think is the right thing to do here? There are no rules. There are no um, uh, laws around it. Or we have a government in the US, and that also applies to other parts of the globe, where the government retreats from making rules or makes rules which are perceived unethical. And that's, I think, where ethics comes in. Ethics is uh, about individuals and also organizations finding out what is right and wrong in a specific situation and acting accordingly. Yeah, I think that that's, um, I, I think that's very well said. Uh, you, you actually wrote an article, an interesting one um, in the early 2000s about the domain of business ethics and should that, is it expanded and, and where should it be? And I, what really struck me was a, a uh, phrase you had in there about ethics, ethics actually being at the beginning of often before the law begins. Uh, can you just explain what you meant by that? Well, I mean, uh, to, to comply with the legal framework often for companies is a challenge. You know, if you think of taxation and other things, um, uh, you know, that, that's 
sometimes already a tall order, don't get me wrong. And there is a certain ethics involved in respecting local laws or international laws or things like that. But the, the crucial thing about ethics is that it poses uh, normative questions of right and wrong before managers where there are no rules, where there is no law. And that's where ethics starts. That's where you apply uh, ethical rules, uh, moral judgment, moral principles to a certain situation, and then act accordingly. Mm. So it is really the space where the handrail, let's say, of the law does no longer help you. Mm. And we can also go a step further by saying that in some situations, uh, the law uh, might prescribe things that an individual company finds unethical. I mean, think of the immigration ban of Donald Trump three, two, three years ago, where then a couple of uh, very uh, forward-looking and courageous business leaders Starbucks, uh, some of the Silicon Valley companies said, no, this is morally wrong, this law. We do it differently. So it goes both ways, but it puts uh, managers in a situation where they have to make these normative value judgments themselves. So because you come at this from um, a very worldwide view uh, and because you're teaching in an international school could you share a little bit about what you see as both the similarities and differences in the way business ethics is let's say understood in the US versus internationally Well, that's, there's a bit of an irony here. So I think uh, the idea of business ethics is much more uh, currency in the Anglo-Saxon world, I would say, that people understand uh, you know, that business has to do these things, partly because there are a host of issues where governments are not involved. If I compare this with my early days in the career and also some of the consulting work I've done over the years in Europe, the idea of business ethics is much more seen skeptically. And that the reason for that is that companies are much more highly regulated, oh. you know, in terms of health insurance, for instance. Uh, Starbucks, yes, they have their program for their employees, which they do voluntarily, and that's part of their CSR or you know, part of ethical considerations that their workers should have it. A European company would never wreck their brains about that because they are obligated by law to contribute to um, health insurance of their employees. And that goes in, in many other directions. They, they say, why would we sponsor uh, university chairs or university education? We pay our taxes. We are highly taxed here, and that's the job of the government. Ah. So in that sense, it's, a, it's, a, it's an irony that, yes, companies in Europe do a lot of ethical things and behave, uh, I would say, 
on across the board, also with regard to environmental issues, climate change, uh, behave quite responsibly. But they don't do it by their own volition. They do it because they are forced by the government. And that uh, delegates their managers mostly to compliance, mm -hmm. but not to independent individual thinking about business ethics and right and wrong, because these decisions are sort of taken away from them. Yeah. You see, the U UK, I think, is probably the most interesting laboratory here, because uh, until the early 1980s, before Thatcher, um, they still had a very, you know, densely uh, knit welfare state, uh, labor rights, and all these things. And then Margaret Thatcher came in and fleshed it all. And then uh, companies like Marks and Spencer, for instance, came up with the slogan, healthy high streets need healthy back streets. And you see in Europe, certainly, that you, the UK is leading with regard to corporate social responsibility and business ethics. And I always call that uh, a little bit uh, Margaret Thatcher's unacknowledged grandchild, because it was her policies of taking the state out of all of these arena that then left the buck with corporations. Mm. And that's where the movement for CSR in the UK then grew. And then later under Blair, he took it over and coordinated it with the CSR Academy and awards and all this kind of stuff. But that's an interesting laboratory to see how that can change. Yes. It doesn't apply to the rest of Europe, certainly Scandinavia, Central Europe, Germany, France, uh, Spain, Italy, but uh, even there, we have seen quite some changes in the last 30 years, which again then have given rise to um, a fairly sizable um, CSR movement there also. Interesting. So how do you think the globalization of, uh, of the world, although in some parts we seem to be retreating from that a bit or at least trying to and pulling away but in, in general i think covid 19 has shown us that we are still very globalized so how do you think that globalization has affected um views of this area i think globalization is one of the main drivers of the business ethics movement uh, and uh, that also is, of course, accompanied by uh, digitalization and by uh, generally the fact that what happens in Vietnam does no longer stay in Vietnam. So I think uh, that uh, companies become involved. And that's an interesting thing. I mean, in, in, in Europe, uh, the companies who are involved in CSR, and I, I just sketch out a little bit the general reluctance to, to go there, are all multinationals who are confronted with these issues in areas where laws either don't exist or are not enforced and where they have to find their own normative standards to deal with it. And that's, I think, the in that sense, globalization is, I think, the key driver that it exposes companies to contexts where they can't 
anymore rely on governments to tell them what is right and wrong and just comply. Mm-hmm. But they really have to find out what are the labor standards uh, we are operating. What is the right working age? Mm-hmm. How far are we responsible for the communities in which we operate? Mm-hmm. Where does it stop providing health care or education even in these communities? These are all questions companies only face due to globalization. So globalization has been a huge driver of the business ethics field. Yeah. What do you think are the main concepts for effectively communicating the importance of business ethics in a practical way? Well, um, the first one I would say is storytelling. You know, there's an interesting, uh, there was an interesting talk, actually, the last uh, talk, Richard Rorty, the philosopher, gave at a management conference in, 1990, in 2005, uh, where he had uh, to, uh, they gave him the topic, does business ethics need philosophy? Ah. And his, his, his line was, oh, what business ethics uh, professors, if they want to be effective, do, is tell a good story and spin it with a good journalistic skill. And that's it. And I think that's really uh, an important thing, storytelling. And I, by, by this, I don't mean necessarily to, to just have them do case studies, but embed the message in good practical examples and stories. I think that's, that's one of the things. The second thing I would say is pragmatism in the sense that uh, I really am skeptical about colleagues who are, let's say, Kantians or utilitarianists and push down their message and their theoretical view of the world. As I said earlier, I see all these ethical theories as tools and you use them together and you practice that with your students. That's kind of where I see, so I would say pragmatism. Okay. And then the, the third one I would say is avoid the language of ethics. What do you mean by that third one? The thing is um, that ethics has very bad connotations. It has the idea that someone comes who knows right and wrong uh, and tells you off. Yes. I think that's part of the reason that we have resorted to these other concepts of uh, right. corporate social responsibility, corporate citizenship, and so on, because they don't have these, these normative presuppositions. You know, I mean, right. some 15 years ago, I was single, and you know, when I went to a bar, and someone asked me, what are you doing? And I said, I'm a business ethics professor. The conversation was over. <laughs> I just turned away. You don't want to hang out with an ethics guy. You know? <laughs> and in that sense, I think uh, we should be very careful also about how we sell that. I'm not against business ethics. 
Right, 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 right. But it's a question how we sell it to our students, how do, right, we, right. How do we engage them, right, them right. All, and not make it something that they consider to be preached as, but yeah. just another teaching subject. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the challenge. Yeah, it is business integrity. Integrity has been a word that people have also sort of gravitated around as opposed to ethics, which has this kind of preformed idea of you're going to preach at me. So, yeah. Well, Dirk, this has been a fabulous conversation, and I appreciate your time um, very much. It's been illuminating to get a bit of the global view. So, thank you for that. I do want to end, though, by asking you uh, a few questions that I ask everyone so that we can benefit from what others are reading or listening to or watching. But what, what is one of the best books? Let's start with that books that you've read in the last few months. Well, as I said in my email, uh, who reads books anymore in this day? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me back up. Um, but I have, I have a suggestion. I have okay. A suggestion. Uh, so I read this book here. Okay, yes. The Global Minotaur. Yes. And it's written by Yanis Varoufakis, the yes. former finance minister of Greece. And that's a fascinating book because... Um, and that relates also to our conversation because I think a lot of these uh, business ethics questions are these days macro questions. They are yeah. the, the ethics of business is very much um, determined by the broader economic and social context in which right. business operates. And what he uh, does in, in this, and of course he, he was the finance minister of Greece when Greece was in this debt crisis, so he was thinking about these things a lot and he's an economist. Yes. And he basically gives a story about the post-war economy and how um, the U.S. mostly organized a financial system that then was disrupted by the euro and led to these imbalances. And of course, there are a lot of ethical questions here, um, how um, the, the way the global financial system is organized incentivizes for mostly the financial industry, but also in, in many ways, um, manufacturing companies, particularly in Germany at the time, the Greece conflict, uh, to make certain decisions about right or wrong behavior. So I, I thought that was a great uh, eye-opening book. That sounds fascinating. I'm going to add that one to my list. What about um, what you've watched recently? A good movie or a good series or, or anything that had an ethical dilemma that was enjoyable and exciting and interesting? I mean, the classic example for me is the House of Cards. Ah. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's awesome. Yes, we've watched awesome. that. And it's full of ethical uh, dilemmas. And I think uh, one of the movies, if you ask me about a movie, I would say that one of the best ones I've seen uh, in the last couple of years is Margin Call. Say it again. Margin Call. Margin Call. Okay. You know that one? I don't know that one. I did not oh, watch I, that. I so recommend it. It's on Netflix these days. Okay. Uh, I so recommend it. It's, I always use one of the clips in my class, which ah, is okay. so fantastic. And the, the whole thing about a lot of these movies is how do good people do bad things? Yeah. 
And I think that's a big section also of my book. Um, how, what are the factors that make good people do bad things? Because it only in the very few cases, and even then, uh, when especially the tabloid press, if scandals happen, uh, points to an evil person. If you look at it exactly <coughs> in more detail, uh, it's always the incentives and the situational factors that cause people to do these things rather right. than being inherently uh, evil. Right. Yeah. Well, this has been lovely. I so appreciate the time that you've spent with us. Thank you very much, Cindy. It was a great pleasure to do that. And thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. You bet. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, the Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.